and Assyria. And the second half, starting in, in chapter 40, is prophecy. It talks about um, the captivity of Babylon. And there's some historical books uh, or historical chapters sort of in between there. Um, and so as I was reading Matthew Henry's commentary on Isaiah 40, um, I discovered a few things. It's a, so like I said, it's a prophecy written by... Um, Isaiah to God's people who were headed into captivity into Babylon. So they weren't there yet, um, but God was prophesying about their release from this captivity that they were headed into. Um, and starting in chapter, excuse me, 40 and continuing on through Isaiah, uh, the prophecies are written about the captivity in Babylon, but there's so much that you'll see in there about the foreshadowing of Christ and the gospel of grace. Um, and so it's really cool. So here's what Matthew Henry says about this chapter in particular, and then we'll, and then we'll read. Um, he says, before God sent his people into captivity, he furnished them with the precious promises for their support and comfort in their trouble. We may well imagine what great use to them the glorious, gracious light of this prophecy was in that cloudy and dark day, and how much it helped to dry up their tears by the river of Babylon. But it looks further yet, it looks to greater things, to Christ and the gospel of grace. And so to think that this was written to a group of people um, that were headed into this captivity, that as they were walking into the soil of Babylon, that they already had the prophecy of their release and their redemption hanging over them. So in the midst of if this dark, stormy, you know, hopeless day, that they already had this, this prophecy of hope and this promise to come. So as I read the, the words of Isaiah, um, if you're like me and you're sort of a visual learner and you want to kind of read along in your Bible, go ahead. But um, but if you're if you're like me also and you haven't had a time to like just sit and like soak up God's word because you got kids running all over the place and a quiet moment is never really to be found, um, then feel free to just close your eyes. the The wording of this chapter is is very vivid. There are a lot of word pictures here about who God is, and so feel free to just kind of let them wash over you. So. Um, so Isaiah chapter 40 says this. It says, Your God says, Comfort, comfort my people. Speak kindly to the people of Jerusalem and tell them that their time of service is finished, that they have paid for their sins, that the Lord has punished Jerusalem twice for every sin that they have done. This is the voice of one who calls out, Prepare in the desert the way for the Lord. Make a straight road in the dry lands for our God. Every valley should be raised up, and every mountain and hill should be made flat. The rough ground should be made level, and the rugged ground should be made smooth. Then the glory of the Lord will be shown, and all the people together will see it. The Lord himself has said these things. A voice says, cry out. And then I said, what shall I cry out? Say that all people are like the grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass dies and the flowers fall when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are like grass. The grass dies and the flowers fall, but the word of our God will live forever. Jerusalem, you have good news to tell. Go up on a high mountain, Jerusalem, for you have good news to tell. Shout out loud the good news. Shout it out and don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Look, the Lord God is coming with power to rule all the people. Look, he will bring reward for his people. He will have their payment with them. He takes care of his people like a shepherd. 
He gathers them like lambs in his arms and carries them close to him. He gently leads the mothers of the lambs. Who has measured the oceans in the palm of his hand? Who has used his hand to measure the sky? Who has used a bowl to measure the dust of the earth and scales to weigh the mountains and hills? Who has known the mind of the Lord or been able to give him advice? Whom did he ask for advice? Who taught him the right way? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way to understanding? The nations are like one small drop in a bucket. They are no more than the dust on his measuring scales. To him, the islands are no more than fine dust on his scales. All the trees in Lebanon are not enough for the altar fires, and all the animals in Lebanon are not enough for burnt offerings. Compared to the Lord, all the nations are worth nothing, for to him they are less than nothing. Can you compare anything to God? Can you compare him to any image? An idol is formed by a craftsman, and a goldsmith covers it with gold and makes silver chains for it. A poor person cannot buy those expensive statues, and so he finds a tree that will not rot, and he finds a skilled craftsman to make it into an idol that will not fall over. Surely you know, surely you have heard, surely from the beginning someone told you, surely you understand how the earth was created. God sits on his throne above the circle of the earth, and compared to him, people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the skies like a piece of cloth and spreads them out like a tent to sit under. He makes rulers unimportant and the judges of this world worth nothing. They are like plants that are placed in the ground, like seeds that are planted. As soon as they begin to grow strong, he blows on them and they die, and the wind blows them away like chaff. God, the Holy One, says, can you compare me to anyone? Is anyone equal to me? Look up to the skies. Who created all these stars? He leads out the army of heaven one by one and calls the stars by name. Because he is strong and powerful, not one of them is missing. People of Jacob, why do you complain? People of Israel, why do you say, the Lord does not see what happens to me? He does not care if I am treated fairly. Surely you know, surely you have heard. The Lord is the God who lives forever, who created all the world. He does not become tired or need to rest. No one can understand how great his wisdom is. He gives strength to those who are tired and more power to those who are weak. Even children become tired and need to rest, and young people trip and fall. But the people who trust the Lord will become strong again. They will rise up as an eagle in the sky. They will run and not need rest. They will walk and not become tired. And so as you hear those words, you can see that almost every verse in here is about how big God is, right? How glorious, how majestic, how powerful, how uncomparable he is and his sovereignty and his might, his ability to rule um, and to give wisdom, that he has no need for advice, that he's full of strength with no need to rest, right? Which is so different from how I feel most of the time. I think I'm so aware of my need for rest and wisdom and help a lot of the day. Um, But in the midst of all these verses about God's might and his sovereignty, um, the one that came to my mind first was in verse 11. And so in my translation, it says, um, he takes care of his people like a shepherd. He gathers them in like lambs in his arms. He carries them close to him and he gently leads the mothers of the lambs. And as I looked at different translations, in the ESV it says this, he will gently lead those that are with young. 
In the NASB, it says he will gently lead the nursing ewes, which is a word for sheep, female sheep. In the NIV, it says he gently leads those that have young. Um, and I love, I love, love, love that this verse doesn't say, um, you know, he will gently lead those that are parents, or he will gently lead, you know, the rams and the ewes, or he'll gently lead the moms and dads. Um, but this is a, a very specific picture of how the God of the universe relates to us as moms in our unique role in our unique life. Um, the pregnant mom, the nursing mom, the ones who are caring for, for their young. Um, and so Matthew Henry had some unique insight about this specific verse. Um, he says, the same God that rules with the strong hand of a prince also leads and feeds with the kind hand of a shepherd. He takes care of his flock, his little flock. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. His word is food for his flock to feed on. He takes particular care of those that most need his care, lambs that are weak and cannot help themselves and are unaccustomed to hardship. That describes my three-year-old to a T. The child cannot seem to walk up the stairs anymore these days. He yells from the basement, Mommy, my legs are tired. Carry me. It's my favorite thing right now. Um, he says, those that are with young and therefore heavy and slow. I don't know about you, but I'm, when I'm nine months pregnant, I feel heavy and slow. Um, he says, these are the lambs of his flock that shall be sure to want nothing their care requires. He will gather them in his arms of power, his strength made perfect in his weakness. He will gather them in when they wander. He will gather them up when they fall, gather them together when they are dispersed, and gather them home to himself at last. All this with his own arm, out of which none shall be able to pluck them. He will carry them in the bosom of his love and cherish them there. When they tire or are weary, when they are sick and faint, when they meet with foul ways, he will carry them on and take care that they are not left behind. He will gently lead them. By his word, he requires no more service. By his providence, he inflicts no more trouble than he will fit them for, for he considers their frame. And so as I was reading through this um, yesterday at Java House and kind of p pulling this apart, I mean, I just started to, to cry, um, which isn't unusual. I actually cry a lot at Java House or Starbucks. There's something about the, the coffee and just the um, nondescript music, I think, that helps me connect with Jesus. Um, so I'm, I'm often, if I'm alone at a coffee shop, I probably have cried um, just meeting with the Lord. Um, I, just, I just cheered up because I think, you know, this whole passage is all about God's um, ability to pull his people out of captivity, and it's about his might as a ruler and as a leader, his ability to be sovereign over armies, um, to defeat nations in order to rescue his people. And it, it sort of brought to mind a picture of, you know, the exodus or these people in captivity and what it must have been like as a, as a mother or, you know, pregnant woman trying to walk thousands of miles and, you know, pull your children along and what it must have been like in the midst of that. Um, and to see this big picture, because I think I need to be reminded often that God's sovereign and God is big and God can take care of all of the things that I feel are out of control in my life. 
um, I love that he's big, but I love that he's not so big that he doesn't that he doesn't see us. You know, he sees us moms. Um, and so, whether you have one baby or five babies at home, whether you um, work full time outside of your house or you're you're at home full time with your kids, whether you carried your baby in your own body or you took that baby home. Um, yeah, whether you ha- share the load with a husband who loves you and loves Jesus and is emotionally present, or, or whether you're on your own, you're a single mom, or maybe you're married to a husband who, who doesn't share your vision for a family that loves the Lord. Um, I think what I want us to know this morning is that God does not forget you, that he loves moms, that he loves babies, that he carries us close to his heart, um, and that he leads us slowly and gently. Um, in the midst of being a big and mighty God. So I'm just going to give us a minute just to kind of silently um, reflect whether you want to, you know, pray silently, talk to the Lord, or just kind of reread that passage, do what you want. I'm just going to give us a moment of silence, and then I'll close us um, to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are um, so big. Thank you that you are sovereign, that you keep the universe um, spinning, and um, you keep our planet in orbit. You are in control of the big things and the little things, and thank you in the midst of all the things that you are sovereign over, that you see us um, in our day-to-day life, that when you gave these words to Isaiah, that you um, were thinking of us moms in 2015 that you wrote these words so that we would know that we are seen and we are loved. So Jesus, would you help us to live um, in light of this truth today? In your name we pray. Amen. I think Jill is going to come up and um, intro our speaker for the day. So, Okay, um, just a quick story. Several years ago when my husband came to interview at the University of Iowa, he came home and told me I met this really neat lady, Christian lady. Um, she loves her church, and she wants us to come visit if we ever moved to Iowa City. So that church is Parkview, and the lady is Karen. And I just share that story because that tells you a lot about Karen. She just flows over with her love of God and her great personality. Um, so Ka- Karen Weber-Gasparoni is the um, head of the pediatric dental program for um the University of Iowa. She's originally from Brazil, and she just became an American citizen. She's very happy. <laughs> yeah. She is married to um, Dr. Alberto Gasparoni. He's also a dentist at the university, and they have three children. Um, they have uh, Natalia, Leonardo, and Isabella, and as you may have guessed, uh, Alberto is from Italy, so when they go to visit family, it's not pack the car and go for a little drive. <laughs> it's a big ordeal. So it's my pleasure to introduce Karen, Dr. Karen Weber Gasparini. Somebody hit mute. I did that. See? So often we mess up, no way. So 
Um, I was saying about Nilza, it's been a blessing. And Nilza met Jason. They fell in love. They dated for three years, and, and Nilza married Jason. And that's when um, came the reality of having an adult that needs 24-hour supervision and working full-time, and my husband working as well. Um, it was very hard, and um, we moved Natalia independently. Um, she lives 15 minutes from our house. Um, she's always with us. Um, she comes on Fridays, leaves on Sundays, sometimes Fridays, leaves on Saturday, uh, on uh, Mondays. If I have a day in vacation in my work, she will stay with me. We travel, we travel, she's part of our lives. And a lot of great things happened for her when she, she moved independently because she grew as a person. Um, a lot of challenges for us, a lot of prayers, a lot of hurts because it's hard to you know, not have her all the time. You know, you want to have the control, you want to be able. And um, I would say the number one thing, I think the only thing that really um, bothers me a lot is the oral hygiene, you know, because <laughs> she gets home and her teeth is full of plaque because they don't brush her teeth as well as we do. <laughs> But this is Natalia. I put this picture because I love, it's an old one, but that's her senior picture. And I also wanted just to, pay, to get your attention to that little note there that says, I love mom. Um, when we, in one of our um, evaluations of her intellectual um, disability, um, the person who was evaluating her said, and she was about uh, 15 years old there, uh, at that time, and she said, Natalia, can you, can you write a sentence? And she looked at her, she said, you know I don't know how to write. And she said, well, you might have some words that you know how to write. And she said, yes, I do. She said, so write something that is very special for you. Write the most important thing for you. And then she had a note, I love mom. Cannot tell you that the, the lady who was evaluated and the mom here started crying. And Natalia's looking at us like, really? <laughs> You asked me to do something, now you cry. <laughs> Can you move to the next one? <laughs> Thank you. Well, let me tell you a little bit about her syndrome so you will understand some of the challenges that we have faced through these years. But um, she has Smith-McGinnis syndrome, and it is a chromosomic disorder that it will be characterized by a lot of uh, features. You know, they will have uh, same patterns of physical behavior and developmental problems. It is a deletion of chromosome number 17. I'm very uh, happy that she has partial deletion, not complete deletion. Um, if you can move to the next one. And it's like um, Down syndrome. If you see one child that has Down syndrome, you will recognize all the other ones that have Down syndrome because they have the same characteristics, behavior, and facial appearance. So for children with Smith-McGinnis, they have a very flattened mid-face, so that you see on Natalia. Um, her mouth is always down. Um, very prominent cheeks. They're always rosy and very puffy. Um, very big jaws, so her mandible is a little bit forward. Um, very dark eyebrows and that neat together, and of course it was her senior picture, so we, she had a wax and she hated every single minute of it. 
but it comes with a lot of problems. And Natalia was diagnosed at 15 years of age. So for 15 years, I walked in dark, not knowing what was happening with her. I will bring her to the doctors and say, why my daughter does this or that, that does that? Why is this happening? They would say, I don't know, Karen, I don't know. But as soon as she was born, and she was one of the most beautiful babies I have ever seen, you know, I'm biased, but she was really gorgeous. And, and I wanted to breastfeed her so badly, and I was able to do it until she was a year and a half. But the first problem that she showed that was part of the syndrome was uh, stenosis of the pylorus, so she had a lot of feeding problems. So Natalia would throw up everything she would um, um, eat. And I would breastfeed her. I mean, she would literally be talked to me. I would feed her, you know, every half hour, an hour. And she was able to have her first sleep laying down when she was uh, 13 months. Until 13 months, she would sleep standing up. We would have to keep her up. Because uh, otherwise, any movement you would make, she would throw up everything. Um, low muscle tone, and she was not able to... Um, sit. Um, she did physical therapy, so she was able to sit when she was 12 months of age. At birth, she was able to sit down without going from one side to another. She was able to walk after she was a year and a half with help of physical therapy. Um, developmental delay. So she's like a maybe perhaps a five-year-old. She loves Dora. She loves Barney. She loves to color books. Um, she likes Justin Bieber too, and that I don't like at all. <laughs> She has a little doll, probably you've seen us around, and she has her little doll with her. And um, they vary in their level of um, uh, intellect. Natalia's in the moderate um, intellect challenge. Um, early or um, speech problems or delayed. Um, she, has, um, she has had speech therapy for many years, but she talks and she can't articulate words correctly. And she only started talking when she was four that she really let the language go. And that brought a lot of problems because if you can't communicate, you're very irritable. You're, you become aggressive. I'm trying to communicate, you don't get what I want. I'm gonna slap you, I'm gonna bite you, I'm gonna throw myself on the floor because I am frustrated. Um, middle ear problems, lots of ear infections, and skeletal problems. Unfortunately, um, we have just discovered that she's starting with scoliosis. And, and with th things with Smith again is when they start, they progress very fast. Like she started losing her hearing when she was 12 years of age, and now we are in the point that the next step is cochlear implants. Um, and she was, we were in the hospital for a month last, I'll talk a little bit about it. And they did a radiograph for something else, and then we found out that her spine is just going, you know, like a road. And um, it's progressive. Her friend, um, in about five years, became completely twisted and they had surgery. So I know this is coming, but I know the Lord can straighten that spine too. So one thing at a time. You take the burden of the day and you give to the Lord and then you don't worry about the next day because otherwise you, you, go, you go crazy. So sleep disorder, this has been the biggest challenge for us because they don't sleep. They, um, re they secrete the enzyme that puts us to sleep in the morning while we do at sunset. So they are up at night. Um, we're working with medications. We've been very blessed because we were up. She would wake up 10 times a day. She would, a night, she would, um, we would be able to put her to sleep at one and two and five she was up. 
Now she wakes up about two, three times a night. Sometimes I'm so tired that I don't even see. We have to lock the cabinets because otherwise she will have a feast of food at night. And you've noticed that she's overweight. That's a problem that we always face with all the medications that she takes to control behavior. Um, they love attention, and the best way to get attention is to misbehave. Um, they have a lot of, especially when they're young, they, she would have major tantrums, you know, throwing herself on the floor, hitting herself. Um, she has uh, self-injury behavior because she doesn't feel pain the way we feel. Um, if you will quantify the pain she has, a pain of 10 for us is a 3 for her. So uh, it's very common with individuals with special health care needs when they are frustrated and if they don't feel pain, they're going to inflict um, pain um, because they want your attention because they are frustrated. So I remember when she was little, she would take her entire toenails out. I know it's... And I would go and tell the doctors why my daughter is taking the toenails out. One day, I was cooking, I got distracted. She had her arm on top of the, the oven and she had a huge burn and I did not notice that she had, she did not notice that she had burned her arm. And a wolf fall and had blood and you know, on her knees, she would go like this and just continue. And that would just not only freak me out, but it would cause me so much fear because I would go to the doctor and say, you tell me why my daughter hurt herself take her toenails out, and she doesn't might even say, I. And when we discover what she had, the number one self-injured behavior for children with Smith-McGinnis is to take their toenails out. Go figure that missing a chromosome would induce this type of... When we relocated to the United States, and there was a big move, I'll tell you a little bit about it, I just said, God, I, I, I need to turn my life around. This, you know, helped me, and he brought me here. And I came to start a residency program in the first two months, she was bald. She took, she managed to take all her hair up here. And I'm thinking, what in the world I have done? But I had wonderful people that got put in my path. We got her to be seen at the Centers for Disability and Development and we worked on that, but she was stressed. So, um, and I just put that little one in the, the last one there because it is so interesting, the patterns of behavior. When she's happy, she goes like this. And Kids with Miss McGinnis does that. When she's happy, she goes like this. And Kids with Miss Smith McGinnis does that. Even if they're, they live there, don't, they don't you know, um, interact. These are the behaviors they have. And I have always thought that it was so interesting. Since she was little, she would get a book. She would lick and flip. And she will go so fast, so fast. And I would say, guys, look at that. She's doing, she's doing. And she goes, and then she would, if you get her attention, she will stop. And she will talk to you, and then she will get the same page where she stopped, and she will continue. And they had identified this behavior with kids with Smith McGinnis, and they have called the flip, the lick and flip behavior. I thought that was very interesting. If you can go to the next one. But I wanted to give you an idea, and they have other problems, but these are the problems that she has. I, I wanted to just go over to tell you, um, to, so you understand the problems that she has gone through, but also um, that um, we understand that it could be much worse than it is. And the, the ways that the Lord find to, to show you, you know, how merciful and how wonderful he is, I was, as I told you, for 15 years, I didn't have Natalia's diagnosis. 
and I was um, in Special Olympics um, field and track, and it was in 2000. And this couple came and said, Karen, have you noticed how much Natalia and Liana look alike? I said, yes. Have you noticed how much their behavior is similar? I said, yes. And they said, Natalia has a very rare, uh, and Liana has a rare syndrome called Smith-McGuinness. It's one in every 25,000 births. And they, then they said, you know, maybe you could go to the doctor. I went to the doctor that they referred, and they said, listen, if they're telling you that they think this is the syndrome, let's go ahead and do the test. The test took three months to get back, and they tested me as well, because the problem could have come from me as well, or from her father. And um, Wednesday was the day I was going to get the results. On Monday, I was, not I was not supposed to work in one of our rotations. I was a resident, and our, my co-resident got sick, and I was, went there to substitute my co-resident. And I had this patient that I needed to see that needed complete extraction of, you know, extract all the teeth in the mouth. When I looked at the health history, I was like, oh, this is the syndrome that Natalia's been tested for. So when I got to the waiting room, I found a 10-year-old in a wheelchair because she could not walk. She was completely deaf. She was mute. She was blind. She had heart problems. She had had three open heart surgeries. She was in 24-hour hemodialysis because they can have renal problems. And I got home at night, and I cry a lot, you in my in the shower, so nobody can see it. And I remember I cried so much in the shower. And that was Monday. I was going to get the results on Wednesday. And I cried so much because, first of all, I was ashamed towards God because I complained many times about my problem. But also, I was so thankful to God because he was so merciful on, on her because she didn't have all the problems that she was supposed to. So he made me substitute a friend who needed coverage to see how bad, how much worse it could be, and what a blessing that he had given to me. And I promised him that from that moment on, I would never, ever complain about that. And I felt very ashamed about myself. And then on Wednesday, I got the diagnosis, and it was just opening. I was in a black tunnel. It was just opening. You know, it was like seeing the light and understanding why she would behave in such strange ways. And it is difficult still because sometimes, especially at that time when she was so young and nobody knew about it, who's going to get the blame? You. You are the parent. You are the parent who cannot control your child. And there are a lot of people that will take advantage of your weaknesses, of your vulnerable, that you're vulnerable, and they're not gonna show you compassion, and they're gonna put you down. You already feel this much, and you don't know, you don't need people to put you down. When you discover that you have a child with special healthcare needs, you go through a, 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 a several emotions. First, you're angry. You're angry at yourself. I've done something wrong. What have I done during pregnancy that has caused this? You are, angry at God. And that is, I'm, I'm, I'm very sorrow, sorry to, to say that that is a sin that I probably won't get forgiven for, to be mad at God, to be angry at Him, to say, why you've done that to me. Um, you have 
you want to deny, sometimes you just ignore, because if you don't face the situation, you, you feel that I'm gonna shovel under the, the rug, is going to disappear. You will find parents like that, that obviously their kids have a problem, but they are completely oblivious to it. They don't wanna face the reality. And the worst feeling of all, um, the second one, the, the, the worst is being mad at God, but the second worst feeling is to feel sorry about yourself. Why this has happened to me. It is not why this has happened to me. What is behind this? What is God's purpose in giving me a child with special health care needs? And the moment that I was able to let it go and be able to thank God for giving me this individual who has shaped my life was the moment that he started working in my life in ways that are above and beyond that I have always thought. So the question is not why, but for what reason. And I have a lot of fears that we all share. You know, is my child going to um, seek the Lord? Is my child going to be healthy? Is my child going to make the right decisions? Is my child going to be at the right time, at the right place, or is my child going to be at the wrong place at the wrong time? I have all those fears with my children, but with Natalia I have extra fears. How many years she's going to live? Uh, we were in the hospital for a month with excruciating pain, and after four ER emergencies, two hospitalizations, 15 days in the hospital, one surgery, she left the hospital and they said, I think we don't know what's going on, go someplace else, or have her learn to deal with the pain. And that's someone who doesn't feel pain. So I have fears, but I have learned that there's one absolute thing I have not, which is the control. And as hard as it is, the moments I feel that I have absolutely no control are the best times of my life, because those are the times that I go to the cross. And I knee underneath the cross, and I give everything to the Lord. And as much as I go with my little package with that string attached to it, I find myself able to drop my package under the cross with Natalia much more in any other aspects of my life. Because that is an aspect of my life that I know there's absolutely nothing I can do to help God in everything. But that is the one that I have already figured out. You know, it took me a long time. You know, being stubborn, not very smart. You know, <laughs> I would have an easier life. But this is one of the, 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 the verses in the Bible that in, in times of difficulty that I really, I really uh, um, cited throughout the day that I, I, I went through back a lot, which is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And many times I would say, I have no idea, God, why this is happening to me, but I will acknowledge you, and I will trust you, and I'm not going to try to figure out why this is happening, but I, I know you will straighten my path. When I, going back a little bit, when I, Natalia was born, um, she was born six months after I got married, so I, I was pregnant when I got married. And um, I'm not here to say anything bad about her father, but I have to acknowledge that we had a very sick and healthy marriage. I went through with things with him that a child that was 18 years old should have never, ever had gone through. I've made several mistakes 
in my marriage. I had a lot of resentment towards him for abandoning us after five years and not wanting to have anything to do with her, um, controlling me with a pitiful child support, um, being abusive um, in all ways. But I got to a point that I understood that he also was a blessing in my life because he's the one who introduced me to Christ. And he's the one that God has used so much to help me. But going back um, when Natalia was born, when she was five years, four years old, um, her father and I divorced. And we had lived here. He was doing a master's here. And I was, when we went back to Brazil, I, find, I found myself um, divorced without a husband, with a child with special health care needs, with a house with not one furniture, because we had a deal when we left, when we split. He said, do you want to keep the car or do you want the furniture in the house? And I said, I'd rather have the car. I have to bring Natalia here and there. So I had no furniture. And three months later, I found myself without a car too, because his parents came and took the car. So in a very short period of time, I had absolutely nothing. And I had Natalia with special health care needs. And I, was, I felt very lonely. My parents are very loving parents, but my parents divorced when I was 15. My dad um, had a very bad depression and tried to kill himself three times. And the third time, he became disabled. Um, he, he and my mother have a wonderful relationship. My mother was 38 years old when all that happened. And my dad looked at her and said, you are a beautiful woman. I cannot take care of you. I cannot take care of the girls. I'm going to let you guys go. And you need to start your life all over again. And he, I, I have so much respect for my dad to do that for her because he was not being a good husband for her. And he went to live with his parents. And my mother was absolutely fantastic. She took care of us, um, graduated my sister from the university, graduated me from, from high school. But she also struggled a lot. And my mother met a wonderful man from Argentina, and my mother left to Argentina. It was very hard. She didn't want to do it. But I would never hold my mother back home because I needed her. You know, I made the choice um, to, to have a child. I made a choice to divorce. You know, and I made a choice in my life. Nobody needs to be responsible for it. And, and I also don't think that God punished me uh, with a child's special African needs because I disobeyed him. I made my life much more difficult, and that's what I pass on to my children. You know, there is, there is, a, there is a, 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 a sequence in life that you should respect, you know. You should have children after you get married, and I've done everything. In Natalia even, she says, my mom did everything wrong. <laughs> One day she saw this, this pregnant woman, and she said, she's absolutely fascinated for pregnant women, and she was all over this pregnant woman, and I, I used to take care of her older kids, and she had, uh, and Natalia started asking questions, and when she started asking questions, I always have this chill in my spine, because whatever is here is going to be in the top of the tongue, and she looked at this woman, and she said, um, so how, how, how far are you? And then suddenly she looked at the hands, because she's fascinated by wedding bands. And that's when I said, oh, something's coming. And she said, are you married? And I started, Natalia, please don't. And Natalia is very charming. And people you know, say, oh, no, she's fine. Oh, she's not fine. I know what is coming. <laughs> <laughs> and Natalia looked at them and said, 
so you're not married? She said, no, I'm not. She said, ooh, you and my mom did everything wrong. <laughs> that was a fair way. And I'm like, my mom, first she got pregnant. Then she married my dad. Then she went to study. You have to study, then you get married, and then you. <laughs> so at least she got the lesson. <laughs> but the worst part of it, and then she, and then this, this, um, and then um, she asked, "Do you know who the father is?" And I was like, "Natalia." I said, "I'm so sorry." And the lady said, "No, she's fine." And then this gentleman is coming, and she says, "Natalia, actually, he's the father." Turns Natalia. With her little finger, she looks at him and said, and why you're not marrying her? She's, she's, she's carrying your kid. I have to say, this woman probably loved Natalia. This man was spitting fire. And I just look at him and like, I am so sorry. And then she, the woman looked at him and said, see, even Natalia thinks that you should marry me. So Natalia was her hero. She was probably trying to convince the man to marry her. And comes Natalia to, to teach him that, a lesson that he needed to marry her. So anyway, so when I went back um, to, to Brazil after being here, I, as I said, I found myself with very little. I was very fortunate that I have learned English here. And I learned a lot to be able to teach English back home, and that was a blessing. So I started teaching English and making a little bit of a living, and I used to clean houses too. So if you need someone to clean your house, I'm very good cleaner. I love to clean houses. <laughs> I don't have time to clean mine, but. <laughs> <laughs> so by cleaning houses and teaching English, I was able to, you know, um, bring some money at home and take care of Natalia and I. Um, but unfortunately, uh, that was not enough. And, and also, the, the, the child support was very hard, was very, you know, not consistent. You know, if we would have a, a fight, it would be two, three months without seeing child support. And I knew I wanted to have a profession, a career. And I think that's one of the biggest things that God has used, Natalia, to motivate me to, to go and study. So I, I started dental school. In Brazil, you don't have to pay so much for dental school, but you have to pay. And throughout my studies, um, I saw God's you know, um, hands on my life. You know, I would, would go to school during the day, and I taught English every day from Monday through Thursday, from 6.30 until 8.30, and all Saturday. And I had Natalia, but I had help you know, with Nilza that she was helping me a lot and help from friends. But it would be the simple things, you know. Um, I need materials, you know, instruments to bring, and I had no instruments, you know, or surgery, um, or surgery rotation was going to start, and I had to buy all those expensive instruments. And, and people knew that I was struggling. And as I said, I had people who would help me without me even going and asking them for help. And I had people who would be um, very discouraging, angry, while you're doing here, you're struggling throughout dental school. Five minutes already. You're struggling throughout dental school. And, but I had people coming and saying, Karen, I'm going to change my rotation to a Monday so you can use my instruments on a Friday so we have time to sterilize. There was one um, class, dental materials, that the teacher was very mean. And he said, if nobody has their you know, materials by Monday, you're going to be kicked out and you're going to have to repeat the class. And he passed by me and said, including you, because I know you don't have the money, so you're going to have to find in a week. 
And I looked at him and I just thought, okay, <laughs> one more prayer in my pocket. Um, three days later in his class before the Monday, he just passed by me with a plastic bag and he threw, he said, scraps from last year, you can use it this year. So that was what it has happened. And um, Natalia gave me the motivation to also pursue a position at university. And I, I applied for many scholarships and I was able to, to get a scholarship to come to the United States because I knew I needed a better life. I finished dental school and I was struggling um, with a part-time faculty position at the university there and in private practice. So I, I, I was absolutely in God's hands. Um, and you know, financially it's hard when you have to pay your bills and I lived day by day. I did not know if I would have money to pay my bills the next month. Sometimes I would walk two hours to go to school because I didn't have money for gas or for, or for bus. I had situations in my life that I Days I would go home, home hungry or I would sleep hungry, but never ever the major things had missed for Natalia and I. When I came to this country, um, I found a, a wonderful um, family um, in my university, wonderful friends. Um, everybody wanted to set me up. I've learned this about Americans. <laughs> they cannot see a single person they have to set me up. And I would say it will happen because I always wanted to have a relationship in my life. I always wanted to have a family. And I wanted to have a father figure for, for my daughter. And um, so I would go to parties and people would say, oh, this is Karen that I have told you about. And I'm like, oh, another one. And I met my husband in the elevator of the dental school. And he was studying too, and we married, we've been married for 15 years. And as I said, um, it was, you know, the, the, the poor man married three women, and I had to face dif different um, situations in my life. Um, I was very independent, I used to provide for myself, and then I had to learn to be submissive to my husband, to let him lead, because I was so used to lead. And um, you have to let your ego be shrunk. You have to let the Lord um, take care of it. And I know how it is to feel lonely with your husband away because we made the very bad choice to have him move to Italy. He finished his PhD. He didn't find a job here. And we're like, okay, you live there and you go and come and see us. So three months there, three weeks here for six years. And that is, that was, you know, not very smart. But that was also a great opportunity for the Lord to work in our lives. So our marriage is really a miracle. I really, you know, why are we together? Because God has had a lot of uh, uh, mercy. And being able to have a husband to help you make decisions, to take care of you, to um, also be a role model for your children, it is a blessing. Um, can you do it when you're single? Yes, you can, because of God's glory. Can you do it when you are? Can you can you move so can? Can you do it when you have a husband? Yes, but you're still going to have you know tribulations in your life, and that is something that I have always felt that God through Natalia and through my children, He has taught me that I am nothing, and the moment that I had realized 
that I am absolutely nothing. And the more I empty myself, the more I allow God to work in my life. There's a lot of forgiveness to, to, that needs to occur. Because through, when, when you go through difficult times, it means that people have hurt you, and also means that you have hurt people. And forgiving yourself is something very difficult. And we have to be humble to forgive ourselves. Because if we don't forgive ourselves, we are diminishing what God has done for us. And we don't have this right to do it. We're just saying your forgiveness is not enough for me. And we have to forgive ourselves, but we also have to forgive others. And I had throughout this process to learn that I forgive people that had hurt me, not because they deserve, not because they came and they apologized. It's because I, I need to be obedient to God. And because he has forgiven me, I have to forgive others. And I have so much today. I have a career that I love. I have a husband that is very loving. We fight. We have many problems above and beyond that I wanted to, 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 to have. I have wonderful children. I have Natalia, who's a blessing in my life that teaches me every day that um, God is alive and God is, um, can make miracles and to the point that his love constrains me. I'm embarrassed sometimes because I know that everything that he has done is not because I've deserved. I've done so many mistakes and he has been so tolerant towards me. Also, right now, you know, having this... Um, um, wonderful family and, and living in this un wonderful country. I have had opportunities here that I would never have in Brazil. What I want is that to know that whatever I do, if I eat, if I drink, if I speak, if I work, if I am a mother, if I am a wife, I do for God's glory. It's never for my glory. And I want God to be pleased by the things that come out of my mouth and the things that I do. And the thing I struggle the most right now, being a mother, in marriage, and being, you know, having a career, is the business, business, busyness of my life. Having kids in soccer, homework, and I feel um, that I have to struggle to find that time to spend with the Lord. And He needs to come first. If He doesn't come first in my life, everything falls apart. And that is the time of the day that I find most difficult to find, to spend time with the Lord. I can be in communication, in relationship, in prayer with Him throughout the day, but I don't, I struggle to find that moment that is gonna be just the Lord and I. And I think for all of us here that are moms and are very busy, He needs to be the first one. He needs to be the first one that we ded dedicate time in the morning, and he needs to be the first one that we we have to say hello first to him and, and good night to him. Good morning. Good night. He needs to, to be the first and the last and the one throughout the day, and that is something that I'm sure you all struggle with because I, I also struggle with that. And this last one is the one that I have always... Um, Believed. I believe that if you pray, you and your family will be saved. I prayed 10 years for my husband to give his heart to Jesus, and he did. 
And I pray that my children will learn the Lord now and they will never deviate from the path and, and the way. And the path and the way is Jesus Christ. And I have one more. And we have some questions. Did I do good? Did I do? There's so much more to talk. I'm just trying to condense everything in 30 minutes. But here are some questions that we're going to be discussing, correct, Joe? And, uh, and um, so I'm not going to read them, but are they, in the, in, are they there with you guys? But what I wanted very, in a not very articulative way, um, an organized way, is to pass my, and share my experience with you that in my imperfections, in my sins, in my stubbornness, God has made a miracle in my life and he has changed my life and he has allowed me to go through difficult times in my life to show me that it's not in my, in my marriage, it's not in my relationship with my children, with my friends and my career, that I find the absolute peace in my life. It is in Him. He is the one that has taken over my life and has turned things around. And what a wonderful God that He can make something um, so imperfect, so, so many situations that are against the odds and make it perfect. And it's for His glory, it's never for our glory. Any questions? And I have one more picture. This is a picture. This is Brazil. I want to show. This is two and a half years ago. And I'm looking at my kids. They're so grown up. They've grown so much. In. But I wanted to show you. This is a family trip to Brazil. And this is the baby. You've seen Natalia with the baby. That's Sandy, my granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> so this is in my hometown. This is Iguazu Falls. Um, not in my hometown. My home state. And this is Rio de Janeiro where you have the Christ, and that picture is also in Rio. It's a beautiful place if you would like to go. Italy is nice too, but I like Brazil more. <laughs> but do you have any questions? Yeah, I'm gonna, oh, I'm taking the morning off. <laughs> I'm taking the best vacation day ever. <laughs> Thank you.